In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one triune God, Amen. This is Father Daniel Abamosis, and I want to thank you for allowing me to spend some time with you. Today, with the Trinity's help, I will speak about the divine attributes. Let us begin by defining what is meant by the term attribute to ensure that our discussion about the divine attributes is clear. Attributes are properties or qualities that can be possessed by either an essence or a hypostasis, meaning attributes can either be substantial, belonging to every hypostasis constituted of the essence these attributes belong to, or hypostatic, belonging only to a specific hypostasis or hypostases constituted of a given essence. So let's read some patristic quotes that talk about the divine attributes. The first one says, Proceed we then to consider the attributes of the Father, and we shall come to know whether this image is really his. The Father is eternal, immortal, powerful, light, king, sovereign, God, Lord, creator, and maker. These attributes must be in the image to make it true that he that has seen the Son has seen the Father. This is St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 318. So we can understand here that St. Athanasius is listing divine attributes of the divine essence and not just divine attributes of a divine hypostasis because the attributes that he listed are in both the Father and the Son. Let's read the next quote. God insists that kindness and incomparable love for humanity are his divine qualities. This is St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 23. And the last quote, The attributes that spring from the divine nature are the fruit of the highest essence. This also is St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 139. So we saw in these quotes that the fathers were talking about divine attributes that belonged to the divine essence. Let's read a quote about hypostatic attributes. So this quote says, Even though the Son is the heir of all attributes that are in the Father by nature, since he is from him by nature, even so he will never have the attribute of being Father. This is one thing that belongs to the Father alone. But the Son will remain without being deprived of anything in the Father, even though he is not considered to be the Father. He has all the attributes and special qualities of the Father's nature perfectly in himself. This is St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 24. So in this quote, St. Cyril is very clear. He contrasts hypostatic attributes with attributes of the divine essence, and he mentions one hypostatic attribute, which is fatherhood, or being the father. Uh, and then he contrasts that with all the other attributes that are in the father by nature. And by saying that the Son possesses them also, it's clear that these are not hypostatic attributes he's referring to when he says the Son has them also, but they are divine attributes of the divine essence, and both the Father and the Son have or possess these divine attributes because both of them are constituted of the same identical divine essence.
So there's an important note that I want to mention that the complete definition of an essence will always include the attributes possessed by it. To remove attributes from the essence in which they exist dissolves or destroys the definition of that essence. Let's read a quote. It is proper for a nature to contain particular things and by visible properties recognize the nature in which they are and are said to exist. For instance, I say that humans are living and rational by nature, likewise that fire is warm and dry. If someone wants to take away rationality from a human or take away warmth or dryness from a fire, then he has dissolved the definition that is known of the nature, and subsequently someone is not said to be human if he is not rational, and something is not said to be fire if it is not warm and dry. This is St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Epistle to the Hebrews, page 57. So now I want to go over two important synonyms for divine attributes. There are many different synonyms for divine attributes, but I want to mention two important ones. So the first one I want to mention is divine characteristics. So this can be synonymous with divine attributes. Let's read the first quote. It says, Proceed we then to consider the attributes of the Father, and we shall come to know whether this image is really his. The Father is eternal, immortal, powerful, light, king, sovereign, God, Lord, creator, and maker, etc. We read this quote uh, a few slides back. And this is St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 318. And the next quote says, referring to the Son, His substance cannot be created above all for this reason. It is capable of receiving the distinguishing marks of God. Now his distinguishing marks are the characteristics by which God is recognized. For example, that he is almighty, that he is, that he is immutable, and the other things mentioned earlier. This is St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Works on the Spirit, page 111 to 112. So we can see from these two quotes, the first quote St. Athanasius mentioned as an attribute of God being powerful, and obviously the power that God has is complete power. And then in the second quote, he mentioned characteristics by which God is recognized, and then he mentioned as a characteristic being almighty, which is being all-powerful. So we see here that having total or complete or all power can be referred to as an attribute or a characteristic. The next synonym that I want to mention is divine grace. So divine grace can be a synonym for divine attributes. And I'm going to give some specific examples of attributes and show how these attributes at one point are called by the Father's attributes and at other times they're called grace so that we can see that it's acceptable to use grace as a synonym for divine attributes. So the first attribute that I'm going to speak about is holiness. Let's read the first quote. It says, No one could have union with God except through participation in the Holy Spirit who implants his own attribute of sanctification in us. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 302. The next quote says, Creation borrows grace from him. 
later on in the quote, why did he implant in them his own good that belongs to him essentially? That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 47. And the last quote says, If it is true to say that all rational creatures, and in general all things that have been called into being and rank among originate beings, do not possess sanctification as the fruit of their own nature, but borrow that grace, as it were, from him who is holy by nature, would it not be the height of absurdity to think that the flesh has no need of God who sanctifies all things? That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 300. So we see from these quotes that at one point, St. Cyril refers to sanctification as an attribute of God, and then at another point, he also calls it grace. So we can see here that grace and attributes are synonymous. The next attribute that I want to refer to is incorruptibility. So the first quote says, Everything that is created is subject to decay, even if it has not yet decayed because it is preserved by God's will. But God is incorruptible and eternal by nature. He does not obtain this by the will of someone else like creation does. Rather, he always exists in his own good properties, and this property is one of them. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 16. And the last quote, In him and through him we divest ourselves of the hateful power of surpassing corruption and put on the heavenly grace from above, namely our incorruption. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Glaphora on the Pentateuch, Volume 138, page 190. So again, we can see here that at one point, St. Cyril is referring to incorruption as a divine attribute or a divine property, and then at another point, he refers to incorruption as grace. So grace and attributes can be used synonymously. And the last divine attribute that I want to speak about is life or immortality. So the first quote says, Since the life-giving word of God has taken up residence in the flesh, he has transformed it so that it has his own good attribute, that is, life. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 232. The next quote says, The word of God is life by nature, and he grants this good attribute of his, I mean life, not only to his own flesh, but he conveys it to the entirety of human nature. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on 1 Corinthians, page 75. And the last quote says, Giving life is characteristic of one who lives, and not of one who borrows that grace from another. That is St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 226. So again, from these quotes, we can see that life, or immortality, is referred to at times as a divine attribute, and at other times it's referred to as grace. So again, this lets us understand that grace and divine attributes can be used synonymously. So grace can be referred to as singular or plural. 
So let's read some quotes from the fathers talking about grace as being one. So the first quote says, There is one grace of the Trinity. This is St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Works on the Spirit, page 125. And the last quote says, Now no one with any sense will think that the Father grants a certain amount of grace as his own, while the Son, in turn, grants his own partial grace, as it were. No, the grace is one and the same, even though it is said to come through both of them. All blessings are given and the distribution of divine gifts is made by the Father through the Son to the worthy. The Son is not thought of in the category of a servant, as we have said, but he is considered and truly is a co-giver and co-supplier. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 175 through 176. So this shows us that grace can be referred to at times as singular or as one. Now let's hear some quotes about grace being referred to in the plural, or as many. The first quote says, The abundant supply of graces bestowed by Christ upon the poor in spirit. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of St. Luke, page 61. And the last quote, From the fullness of the Son, as from an ever-flowing spring, the gift of divine graces gushes forth to each soul that is shown worthy to receive it. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 67. So now let's get into some general points about the divine attributes. So the first point I want to mention is the divine attributes are from God as their source. The first quote says, For God is good, or rather is essentially the source of goodness. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 37. And the next quote, Every good quality that we have is given, but that is not so with God. He is in himself the source of his own excellent attributes, both glory and power, which belong to him alone. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 213. The next point to mention is that the divine attributes are infinite. So the first quote says, The Father's goodness is inconceivable, and immeasurable and far surpasses the limit of our understanding. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 17. And the last quote says, His grace has no measure, as if someone else gave it to him, but it is true and perfect in the perfect one. That is, not imported or brought in from the outside as an addition, but it is in him essentially. It is the fruit of the Father's natural quality, which passes over to the Son who is from him. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 64. The next point to mention is that the divine attributes are eternal, having always been possessed by God and therefore are not created. The first quote says, he, referring to God, must be omnipotent, 
and that this glorious attribute is, so to speak, his without a beginning and without end. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of St. Luke, page 333. The next quote says, From the fullness of the Son, as from an ever-flowing spring, the gift of divine graces gushes forth to each soul that is shown worthy to receive it. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 67. So from this quote, we can understand that if graces are coming from an ever-flowing spring, that means the graces have always been possessed by God because the spring is ever-flowing. There was not a time in which it was not flowing. And the last quote says, The divine admits no turning at all or change to anything unrighteous, but it always shines forth in its eternal attributes. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 290. So these quotes are very clear that the divine attributes are eternal and they have always been possessed by God and there was not a point in time in which he did not possess them. The next point to mention is that the divine attributes are an objective reality of God and not a subjective reality of our perspective of him. So, because the divine attributes are eternal, they were possessed by the Trinity prior to anything being created. Therefore, the divine attributes cannot be a subjective reality of God that is a consequence of our perspective. And the example that I like to give is, imagine that I'm wearing glasses with green lenses and I'm looking at you. If I look at you, I would say that you're green. And being green is not a substance, it's not an essence, but it would be an attribute that you possess. But being green would not be an attribute that you possess objectively. Rather, you having the attribute of greenness is a subjective reality. Because I'm wearing glasses that have green lenses, I perceive that you have the attribute of being green, but that's not an objective reality for you. So let's read a patristic quote. But when he desires to declare his unity with the Father, he teaches it without any reserve, saying, All things whatsoever the Father has are mine. And one cannot but admire the exactness of this language. For he has not said all things whatsoever the Father has he has given to me, lest he should appear at one time not to have possessed these things, but are mine. For these things, being in the Father's power, are equally in that of the Son. But we must in turn examine what things the Father has. For if creation is meant, the Father had nothing before creation, and proves to have received something additional from creation. But far be it to think this. For just as he exists before creation, so before creation also he has what he has. For just as he exists before creation, so also before creation he has what he has, which we also believe to belong to the Son. 
It is necessary, then, that we should perceive that in the Father reside everlastingness, eternity, and immortality. Now these reside in him not as adventitious attributes, but, as it were, in a wellspring they reside in him, and in the Son. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 88-89. through 89. So that quote is very clear, that both the Father and the Son possess things, and these things are the divine attributes that they're referring to. And it's very clear that both of them possess these divine attributes prior to creation, meaning that before any rational being exists that can have its own perspective, the Trinity possessed the divine attributes that it possesses. The next quote says, But God is incorruptible and eternal by nature. He does not obtain this by the will of someone else, like creation does. Rather, he always exists in his own good properties, and this property is one of them. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 86. So this quote is also very clear. It literally says, he always exists in his own good properties, which would mean that he existed in his own good properties prior to creation, meaning God having divine attributes or possessing divine attributes cannot be a subjective reality of the perspective of a created being because God had his attributes prior to creation. The next point to mention is that the divine attributes are permanently possessed by the divine essence regardless of whether or not they are being actualized or put into action. An example would be when God rested from creating. He didn't lose the divine attribute of creativity or being able to bring things into existence. That attribute simply stopped being actualized, but he still possessed that attribute. Let's read a quote. It says, Qualities that inhere in natures or happen to be possessed by them are most clearly manifested when they are brought to actuality. Fire, for example, possesses its heat by nature, but when it acts on wood, that is when we see what kind of power it has and how great that power is. Likewise, someone who has obtained knowledge of grammar, let's say, or some other such discipline, would not be admired when silent, I think, but rather when they display the excellence of their learning for others to see. So it is with the divine and ineffable nature. When it actualizes any of its qualities or natural properties, that is when it shows itself more clearly for what it is and is thereby perceived by us as well. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 2, page 70. The next point to mention, and this is a beautiful point, is that the divine attributes can be shared with created beings through a process called partaking or participation. Partaking or participation are technical terms, and they just mean when one essence shares an attribute or attributes with another essence. And an example would be on a cold winter day, if you drink some hot chocolate, 
that hot chocolate possesses the attribute of heat. Heat is not a substance, but it is a property possessed by a substance or essence. The hot chocolate, when you drink it, doesn't give away all of its heat so that it's no longer hot, but it shares that attribute of heat with you so that you now receive that attribute from the hot chocolate. And so it could be said, you partake of the hot chocolate or you participated in the hot chocolate. Again, meaning that it shared its attribute of heat with you. So let's read some quotes. The first one says, Being the good offspring of him that is good and true son, he is the father's power and wisdom and word. Not being so by participation, nor as if these qualities were imparted to him from without, as they are to those who partake of him and are made wise by him. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 29. The next quote says, All things that are originate have, by participation, the grace of God. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 477. The next quote says, Even if there are many holy people and rational powers, including people on earth, they are, nevertheless, made holy on the basis of participation in the one who is holy by nature, and who alone is truly so. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on Isaiah, Volume 3, page 201-202. And the last quote says, God ungrudgingly deemed it necessary to exalt us with his own good attributes. That is why he calls us gods and light. What good titles, after all, does he not give us? That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 50. And I just want to comment on that last quote. So there are a couple things that are so beautiful about this quote. Firstly, let's look at the fact that it says God ungrudgingly deemed it necessary. He didn't deem it good. He didn't deem it fun. He didn't deem it interesting. He deemed it necessary. For him, this was something that absolutely had to happen. He deemed it necessary that he should share his divine attributes with us. So he gave us some of his own good attributes, his own good eternal attributes. He shares these with us. That is just an absolutely beautiful thought to meditate on. I want us to understand using the terms participation and partake. You can use those in reference to three different things. So you can say that we partake of the divine essence. You can say that we partake of a particular hypostasis. And you can also say that we partake of a divine attribute, a specific divine attribute. So let's read some quotes, hearing how the fathers use partake and participation. The first one says, that we may become henceforth a holy race and partakers of the divine nature, as blessed Peter wrote. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 576. And the next quote, We become partakers of the divine nature. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 97. The next quote, The Holy Spirit is participated in, but does not participate. 
angels and other creatures participate in the Holy Spirit himself. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Works on the Spirit, page 85. And the next quote, A being that participates in life is not, strictly speaking, life, since life is clearly in that being as something other than it. Originate beings participate in the Son as life. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of John, Volume 1, page 34. The next quote, For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. That is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. So from all these different quotes, we can see that it's appropriate to say that we partake or participate either in the divine essence or in a specific divine hypostasis or in a specific divine attribute. The next point to mention is that the divine attributes are not the divine essence itself. So attributes and essence are not the same thing. So let's read some quotes. The first one says, One is the Godhead. That is St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 397. And if you've listened to the lecture on the divine essence, you'll recall that Godhead is a synonym for divine essence or divine substance. So we see here that St. Athanasius is saying the divine essence is only one. There's only one divine essence. The next quote he says is, Being uncompounded in nature, he is father of one son only. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 157. So now we have not only that the divine essence is one, but that the divine essence is uncompounded, meaning that the divine essence is not constituted of many different components. And the last quote says, but rather as the Father's attributes are everlastingness, immortality, eternity, and not being a creature, it follows that thus we must also think of the Son. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Select Works and Letters, page 89. So from these quotes, we can understand that St. Athanasius believes that there is only one divine essence and that the divine essence is uncompounded. It's not constituted of many parts. And that also he believes there are things called divine attributes. And he listed in that quote four divine attributes. So obviously he believes and understands that the divine attributes are not the same thing as the divine essence because he said the divine essence is one and it's uncompounded and yet he mentioned four attributes. The next quote says, If that which pertains to God alone is inevitably also his essence, he will be composed of many essences. For there are many things that pertain by nature to God alone and to no other being. Indeed, the divine scriptures call him king, lord, incorruptible, invisible, and say many thousands of other things about him. If, then, each of his attributes is ranked with his essence, how can the simple God not be composite? But this is a most absurd view to hold. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, quoted in the Philokalia, volume 4, page 402. So we can see from these patristic quotes that the fathers, and specifically the two that I mentioned, who are Alexandrian fathers, the fathers understood that God has and possesses divine attributes, but they also understood 
that the divine attributes are not the divine essence itself. The next point to mention is that the divine attributes are not the divine hypostasis. So let's read the first quote. There are not some things in the Father and other things in the Son, but that which is in the Father is in the Son, and what you see in the Son is what you see in the Father. That was St. Athanasius of Alexandria, Works on the Spirit, page 108 to 109. So from this quote, we see that he's mentioning whatever things are in the Father, things plural, are the same things, plural, that are in the Son. So obviously this can't be referring to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is one hypostasis, but this mentions things in the plural. So the things here that are being mentioned obviously have to be the divine attributes. And the last quote says, Let us raise ourselves to the investigation of the Father's prerogatives and attributes, those, namely, which especially belong to him as God. God the Father is by nature, life, light, and wisdom. But the Son also in like manner is the same, as the divinely inspired scripture testifies everywhere, for he is light and wisdom and life. That was St. Cyril of Alexandria, Commentary on the Gospel of Luke, page 304 to 305. So from this quote, we can understand that if the divine attributes, which he mentioned, light, wisdom, and life, three, if the divine attributes are also the divine hypostasis, then you would have multiple hypostasis beyond three because he mentioned that the Father and the Son have those three attributes. So we would have much more than a trinity. And secondly, he also mentions that the Father is life and the Son is life. The Father is wisdom, the Son is wisdom. The Father is light, the Son is light. So if the divine attributes are the divine hypostasis, then because both the Father and the Son are light, wisdom, and life, then the Father and the Son would be the same hypostasis, which is the heresy of Sibelius. So it's very clear from these quotes that the divine attributes are not the same thing as the divine hypostasis. And glory be to the Holy Trinity, our God, forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to thank you for spending some time with me so we could have an edifying discussion. I hope that the Trinity allowed this discussion to be beneficial for you. These are my thoughts and understanding about this topic, and if anyone has a different opinion about anything that I said, I respect your opinion, and perhaps I am the one that is mistaken. May the Trinity continue to have mercy upon us and lead us into a deep personal relationship with Him. Mm -hmm.